foundations matter. What we build on matters. I was talking with Corinne Weaver. She used to be a city lifer. She's now moved to the Upper Peninsula a few years ago. She is a civil engineer and is part of road constructions. And so she's part of making sure that the foundation of a road is reliable and strong and steady. And she told this really interesting story about something that happened recently up in the UP. They were excavating an area. They were installing utility lines. So they'd torn up a road and were digging down to bury the utility lines and uh, put in a, a new foundation for the road. And as they were doing so, they, dis they, they were digging and they discovered a huge mine shaft, like a really huge mine shaft under the ground that was undocumented. Nobody knew it was there. And it was, apparently it wasn't being used anymore, but it was just an old, huge pit under the ground that was just, that was just left there. And uh, in the UP, there's, there's mining all over the place. There are mine shafts all over. They mine for copper. And um, anyway, they, they, were, they tried to figure out what to do with this huge mine shaft. So they decided to bring in truckloads of dirt, and they brought in truckloads and truckloads of, of dirt and rock to fill in this hole. They poured it all into this area, came back the next day, and this sinkhole had eaten it all. Like, it was like they hadn't even put anything in there. And so they then came back, and they brought more truckloads, more truckloads of dirt and rock. And again, the next day, it was like nothing had even been put in there. It had just been sucked into the ground. And so eventually, after doing this a few times, they ended up taking concrete and pouring concrete over the part of the mine shaft that they could see, let that harden, and then they filled up on top of that. Makes you a little, don't you kind of wonder where that road is so you can just not drive on that part of the road? <laughs> But they filled in this huge chasm, and they had to do this carefully because what we build on matters. The foundations that we have matter. Foundations are important whether you are building a road, a house, a parking lot, or your own life. So last week, we kicked off our Kingdom Foundations campaign. We had a lot of fun last night, it was, or last week. It was just this electric feeling in the church. And I would just encourage you, if you were not here last Sunday, would you please consider listening to the recording of that on our church website? In that, we go th I go through lots of details about the purpose and the, the mission behind these projects that we're doing, as well as just how what, what I think it means for our church life in general. We sent it out in an church, we sent a link out in an all church email this week, and if you didn't get that, that means you're not on our, on our email list that we, we send out emails once in a while. But I would encourage you to please consider getting on the church website, citylifegr.com, and go to where it says sermons, and you can find the audio file there. We're going to be doing this Kingdom Foundations campaign for two years, so it would be great if you could just know about it and know what it is that we're talking about. I'd love to draw your attention to that. We are, the bottom line of that is, we are doing three different projects that you heard about in this video, and this will happen over a two-year period from now until December 2025, and we're inviting 100% of city lifers to prayerfully consider, God, how might you want me to be involved? As the video said, it's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice, and we can't do this all, we're not expecting one person to do this all, we're expecting to join together, band together, and together do what we need to do. Let me just give a quick overview of these projects for those of you who did not hear this last week. The first is, as you could see in the video, we do have some issues with our parking lot. We have uh, Lake City Life, we have the North Lake, and we have the South Lake. And when it is bad, the parking lot is very unusable, including in the winter, because the, the parking lot is permeable asphalt. 
it freezes below the surface. So even when we have the snowplow come through and scrape it, it doesn't actually get below the surface to address the ice problem. And so it's a very complicated repair. We've spent a couple years digging into all the details of what is involved with it and have talked to multiple experts and engineers and excavators and have uh, learned that we need to actually not just put a covering over the top of the parking lot, but actually excavate the whole thing and fix the drainage problems. The situation is complicated by our location on Division Avenue, and there are diff some different rules about being on Division and the kind of drainage that we can tie into. So it's, been, it's become a very complex and therefore very expensive project. And so as we were just sorting through this, we were thinking, this is not a super exciting thing. To, like, people don't say, hey, I'm going to go to church and maybe I can contribute to the parking lot project. I mean, it's not like a super exciting thing that gets people excited. And yet it is something that we believe is part of simply doing the, the maintenance that is the grown, being grown-ups and doing the maintenance that we need to do. And also, uh, it is a way of showing hospitality and a way uh, not only to our neighbors and all the people who use the church during the week and, and our tenants and people that we serve in the community during the week, but also for us. It's, it's, safe, it's about safety. It's about welcome. It's about our presence in the neighborhood. And so we are entering into this project, and it is, a, it is an expensive job to do this parking lot. It's, it's probably going to be starting at $120,000, and I'll talk more about numbers in just a minute. And that's been with us working really hard to just figure out what are the best ways to go at this. The second project that we are looking at, this, the, the parking lot project is for the church. The second project is for the neighborhood. City Life is blessed with this incredibly important and strategic location. We are on Division Avenue, just south of Valdez Street in Grand Rapids. Like, if you want to be in the center of it all, we are here. God has put us here, and God has given us uh, an ability to serve our, our community, particularly the poor in our neighborhood, and a heart for it and a desire for it. And so we are, as we've come out of COVID and things have been shifting a little bit, we've looked at, well, what are the things that we are doing to currently serve our neighbors? We're, we do this ministry and that ministry. We do Bridge of Hope. We do Immigrant Connection. We have our help team. We do some really important things. But we also have just had this sense that God is calling us to more. God is calling us to rise up and to do something else. And we're, we're really seeking about what that is, but we believe that God has given us a privileged position and he's put this on our hearts. And so part of this project is raising funds for the next phase of what Neighborhood Ministries intervention looks like. The third project is a purchase of property for our sister missionaries in Mongolia. Jen and Corey Ellison came out of City Life and are now serving in Mongolia. They are training Mongolian pastors there doing theological education. And one of the needs they have is for the purchase of property so that they can move. It's a tent-style church called a gare. You saw a picture of it. This gare, it's a white-covered structure. And so they need to move it to another property, and it helps establish them. I, I go into it in last week's message, but with, with the government and also establishes them in the community and also just gives them a little bit more space to expand. And so anytime City Life has done a significant project for, our, for, for us, we have also done something for another church, whether out in our city or around the world. So our three projects address church, neighborhood, world. The total that we need to raise for all of this is, is uh, $136,000. It's in those brochures that you just looked at, which is a huge amount of money. If you think that's a big amount of money, it is a big amount of money. But we are celebrating that the, through the wisdom of our church board, 
Over the last few years, we have been saving toward this parking lot project and for some facilities needs, and through some grants that we were able to apply for and receive. We, ha we have already taken off a good portion of that number, and that's in your brochures as well. And so the bottom line that we are seeking to raise for this project is $80,000. We're also celebrating one other big thing, and this will be coming next Sunday at Celebration Sunday. We, just two weeks ago, paid off the mortgage on this building. This is a huge, huge deal. It's a huge deal because how does a little church like City Life do something like that? And you'll hear some of the crazy God stories that were part of that. Uh, next week when we celebrate that, we're actually literally going to burn the mortgage to symbolize burning this debt that we had and being free from that. And uh, you're gonna, there's, we're going to have a denominational leader with us at the 11 o'clock service and some other people who are, had a, a role in that. So we're just going to have fun with that. We're celebrating a bunch of things next week. It's, it's the burning of the mortgage. It's the, it's the commitment Sunday in which you'll be able to bring your commitment cards back and turn those in with what your commitment will be toward this campaign. It's also City Life's 18th birthday. It's the Chili Cook off so we're just kind of doing a whole big party I think there's something else we're celebrating too I'm forgetting but we're just we're just kind of celebrating everything that we have next Sunday so this Kingdom Foundations campaign it is a two plus year commitment it is for 110 weeks between the end of October and the end of December 2025 and we're just asking that you would pray about this that you would prayerfully consider does God want me to be a part of this is, what does my participation look like? And we know at City Life, we, people are all over the place financially. We know that. We know who we are. And, but we're hoping that no matter who you are, no matter whether you have a job or whether you don't have a job, whether you have income or don't have an income, is there a way that God might invite you to participate so that you can be part of things too? It might look like saying, I pledge to find a certain number of cans and do a bottle return. It might say, I'm going to pick up an extra shift at work. It might be, we talked last week about even picking up coins and saving up coins that you find through the year. I think there are lots of different ways that people can participate, but we don't want everybody to give the same. It wouldn't be right if everybody gave the same. But we'd love for you to consider if God wants you to be part of this and to, to truly pray about it. So making a commitment, is we're talking about these church things, these ministry things, the neighborhood things, the Mongolia church need. And these are all really good things, and I'm excited about them. I think they're going to make a difference. They're all foundational needs that meet foundational needs in the church, in the community, and in the world. They're all basic needs. And foundations aren't, as Will said in his testimony, aren't flashy. A lot of times foundations are actually under the ground, and you can't even see them. And yet foundations really matter. But my hope in all of this, is that not only will we be able to do these three projects, I have every hope, I am so optimistic, that God wants to do a greater spiritual work in all of our lives as in the process of this. Any kind of capital campaign like this, any kind of financial campaign like this, it should change us. And if it doesn't change us, then we're missing something. But I think that God wants to set people in our church free from generational financial bondage. I think God wants to help us identify habits and patterns in our lives that don't honor him. I think God wants to take us to deeper levels, and I think there is a spiritual connection of things that God wants to do and that he wants to change us, bring us to a place of greater flourishing, greater vitality, greater new life. Isaiah 58, 12 has been our theme verse for 
this campaign, and it says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. God wants to bring freedom. God has concern for the poor. God wants to challenge us on how we manage the resources that he gives us. God wants us to rebuild broken places. He wants us to renew broken down places. He wants us to flourish. God wants good for us. And so when it comes to foundations, foundations matter. And these are foundational things, and God wants to do a renewing work in the foundations of your financial life as well. So today... We begin a new series studying Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to a foreign king. The Israelites have been taken out of their home country of Israel, and they live in a foreign land, and uh, there's a foreign king who's in charge of them. They have, their homeland is completely broken down. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, which means that uh, anytime somebody gives the king a a drink, then this cupbearer tastes it and drinks it, and if he doesn't die, if it's not been poisoned, then the drink is safe for the king, and then the king drinks it, and everybody's happy. So we have Nehemiah, who's a cupbearer to the king, and Nehemiah turns into a general contractor for this construction project in Jerusalem. And so as we work through the passage today, I want you to ask, ask yourself, what foundational, what financial foundations does God want to build in my life? Is it working on this one? Is it working on this one? Is it ordering things in the other 80%? What financial foundations does God want to work out in my life? Now, the people of Israel, as I mentioned, are in exile. They have been scattered from their homeland. If you pull up the map, you will see, do you see where it says beyond the river, right by the Mediterranean Sea? Just below that, it says Jerusalem. That's where Israel is. And if you go to the right, just past Babylonia, it says Susa in in little print there. And Susa is where Nehemiah is. This is about an eight or 900-mile journey. They are about 800 miles from home. It is not easy. It is not quick to go back home to Jerusalem. It's a f- long way. And they've been in exile now. The people of Israel first left. It, was, it would be about 100 years uh, ago that this happened at this point. So they still remember. They still heard the stories of their grandparents. They, they still know about their people and their land. But it's been a long time since they've been back. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, there's what is called the remnant the remnant. A few people who were left behind. The, usually it's the poor and, and least able to travel who would be left behind in a time of war. And they stayed there, living in the rubble and in the ruins. And then there was a movement 70 years later under, under a man by the name of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel led people back to, to repopulate Jerusalem. And then the prophet Ezra led people back to repopulate Jerusalem. And now Nehemiah will be leading people back. And so by this point, there are a few thousand people that live there, but they are not strong. They, d- they live in, they have broken down walls. They are vulnerable to attack. They are in, they are, they're just barely existing in very much a broken down state. Here is what happens in ne- Nehemiah. Turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapters, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, 
in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. They say, these people, they're survivors. These people, they're in great trouble. They are not safe. These people, they're, they're in disgrace. There's, there's a sense of shame of our beautiful nation that we used to have is no more. Our people is no more. And they're vulnerable. They're at risk. They are not safe. We have all of these situations within our church. People who are survivors, financial survivors, people who are in great trouble, in financial trouble, people who have great distress financially. I'm not just talking about poor people. I know people who have means who are in great distress about money today. People who are vulnerable. Just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you aren't necessarily vulnerable to some things. Sometimes having money makes you more vulnerable to some things. We have all of this kind of heartache and difficulty and trouble in our church. This is Nehemiah's response, verse 4. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah is grieving. He is so concerned for his people. He is mourning. He is longing for something different for his people. He is grieving so much that he is fasting. He's not eating. I, I, love, I love how fasting is a tool that helps us pray, especially when we are suffering and mourning. He is fasting. This is the kind of desperation that drives you to prayer. And ne what does Nehemiah want? Nehemiah wants safety for his people. Nehemiah wants the, the restoration of dignity for God's people. He says, God, these are your people. Restore them. 
Nehemiah wants them to flourish. He says, God, you love us. We want, you want us to flourish. Lord, Lord, I want our flourishing again. And here we are, a, a hundred or so years after the walls were first broken down, and it's still broken down. They're still in disgrace, and they are still unsafe, and they are still struggling. And God uses Nehemiah's mourning and despair to lead him to make a change. I've heard this described as a holy discontent. Nehemiah is discontented about the situation, and it's, but it's a holy discontent that's pointing him toward the things of God. And sometimes God will give you something that you are upset about or something you're frustrated about, and it's a holy discontent because it is designed to make you so uncomfortable that it makes you want God's way in a deeper way. Financial foundation number one. I have three financial foundations for you today. Number one is God may allow you to experience a holy discontent to help you make financial changes. A holy discontent to help you hit bottom, to help you be dissatisfied with where you are, to help you, like Nehemiah, develop a new heart for people that you need to pay attention to. These are the types of things that that weigh on you, those, those niggling little thoughts in the back of your mind. That it's a, maybe it's a time of despair. Maybe it's longing for a change. Maybe it's a conviction about, hey, I'm, I'm complacent. And th- I don't have a lot of financial stress right now, but maybe God just wants more from me. Maybe God wants me to do something different. What is bothering you about anything related to money these days? What might God what change might God be stirring up in you? God might allow you to experience holy discontent to help you change. So Nehemiah is troubled. He's bothered. This goes on for a while. And then one day something happens. Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This could be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So here, this is this really crucial moment. Nehemiah is looking sad. It sounds like he didn't mean to look sad, but he's looking sad in the presence of the king. And the king's like, what's wrong with you? You're not usually like this. And Nehemiah is instantly filled with fear, like, oh no, I've done it now. Like, now I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get killed. Who knows what's going to happen? And I was not, I was not thinking about this. And the, but the king brings it up and opens the door, and Nehemiah is able in that moment to realize he has a window of opportunity. And so with boldness, he says exactly what the problem is. Here's the king's response, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then Nehemiah shoots up a really quick prayer. Oh God, please help me. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. 
So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I also have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Do you see what happens here? God has been birthing this desire in Nehemiah for a long time. And the long-term tension, the long-term struggle over the economic state of his people, God has been using this to hone some things in him, to hone in him a holy discontent and to lead him toward the ability to be a person who makes changes. So then when the king says to him, what is it that you want? Nehemiah says, I'll tell you what, you want, what I want. Send me to Jerusalem. Send me to Jerusalem so I can rebuild it. I just want to rebuild it. And when the king says yes, this is what I think is funny about Nehemiah. When the king says yes, Nehemiah is like, and also king, on top of that, could I also please have a letter so that like, nobody's going to attack me and they know that I come from you? Okay, that's good. A letter for a few of the governors, great. And also, I need a letter for the keeper of the forest because I'm going to need some of your wood in your royal forest. Yeah, I'm going to need it because I'm going to need it to repair the, the gates, and I'm going to need it to repair the city walls, and I'm also going to need lumber to build a house for myself since I'm going to live there for a while. I just love it that the king opens this door all of a sudden, and Nehemiah knows exactly what he needs. He's been thinking about this. Nehemiah, the man, has a plan. The man has a plan. Here's financial foundation number two. God can help you work his plan for your money. You need a plan. Maybe it's 10, 10, 80. Maybe you're going to break this down. You're going to say, all right, to actually do this, I've got to figure some things out here. And here are all the steps I need to take to figure this part out. You know, this, this I've maybe been neglecting. Maybe I'm doing this, but I just kind of neglect this. And maybe I need to kind of rearrange some things so that I'm, I'm doing this part. Or maybe... 80%, I'm not living in 80%. I'm living in 80 or 90 or sometimes 100%. Maybe I need a plan for that. But God can help you work his plan for your money. You need a plan. If your plan is you get money at a, for whatever reason, whether it's work or somebody gives you money or you just end up with money, if your plan is we'll just see how far it goes, that's not a plan. I find it interesting what's going on here. Nehemiah's financial plan involves relationships. It involves relationships. We think of money as such a personal and private thing, and yet so often when it comes to managing the resources that God has given us, so often it's going to involve connection with other people. Do you see, so who is Nehemiah interacting with? Not only is he interacting with the king, but he's also interacting with the governors of trans-Euphrates, the forest keeper, the army officials, and the cavalry. And I think you need to ask yourself, what relational connections are you avoiding in your finances right now that you need to address? Or are there relationships that you need in your financial life that need to be part of things? Here are a few examples. Who do you need to work with? If you're married, you should be working with your spouse and talking through things about money. If you are stuck on a confusing bill 
or if there's a notice you got in the mail that says you owe money and you don't understand what's going on, then you need to go have a conversation with somebody who can help you, a friend or a mentor or somebody who can say, I can help you figure that out. Let's, let's see what we can do. Maybe if you, if you either pay child support or you receive child support for a child, you have to work with the other person for that to happen. If you, maybe you need to do something with the bank, but the bank is kind of an intimidating place, and maybe you need to have a conversation with somebody there who can help you. But see, financial plans involve relationships, and so ask the question, who do you owe money to? Who owes money to you? These are all relationships. Who can help you grow your money? Who can you get advice from? We need people to talk to about money stuff. And one of my hopes here as we go through this Kingdom Foundations campaign in the next couple years is that we'll be able to help each other in deep ways. We talked a little bit about that last week, and even just yesterday, I heard an incredible story from somebody about just how God broke through in a crazy, weird financial debt that she inherited from a family member who passed away and just how God was working, God has worked out all the details after she persevered at it for about six months. And now she wants to come and help others at City Life who could easily be in a similar position to avoid what she went through. We've got lots of stuff like that that I I think God wants to do in our church. Financial plans involve relationships. Financial plans also involve organization. Now, some of you would prefer to say, I like to just have my money kind of all in one pot here, and I'll just, you know, like, my money's not really orderly. It's kind of all just, it's where it is, you know? And so if I've got a bill, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to say, uh, oh, I've got to pay this bill. Okay, so I'll just, I'll just take a piece of this, and I'll put this, I'll pay this bill. And, and we, pay, we do other things. Oh, I've got I've to uh, buy this thing for my friend. And so we do that, and then, oh, you know, I should, maybe I'll do a church thing here, and then we we throw that together. And I would encourage you toward organization. Nehemiah plans for his journey. He plans for supplies. He plans for the end goal, which is the wall and the house. So how do you need to increase your financial organization? Do you know what your accounts are? Are you working a plan? How many of you would say that you're just naturally very organized people, especially when it comes to money? Wow, I thought we'd have like a couple. Oh, we do, we have a couple, okay. How many, how many of you would say, like, I hate this. I hate even thinking about having to be organized about money. Anybody feel that way? Because it can just feel so, op- and how many of you would say, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I'm kind of organized, but like, yeah, yeah. So. I think what we can learn from Nehemiah here is there is something about the, f- the faithful organizational management that does bring order to the things that God has given us. I loved Will's part of his testimony where he said what tithing has helped him do is to prioritize what is first and then it helps to give order to everything else that he does. The question is, are you managing your money or is your money managing you? And that's where we get into bondage that money can have over us. And that's what I think God wants us to be free from. So the passage continues. Nehemiah says, I want to go to Jerusalem, and I I want you to give me these things. One, two, three, four. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me, except the one I was riding on. 
By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. It's nighttime. Nobody knows why Nehemiah is there. He hasn't told anybody yet. He's been there three days now. He says, I'm going to go investigate. He investigates. He gets the lay of the land. He examines the walls. He observes. Here's what Nehemiah is doing. He is facing reality. He is facing reality, and it is not pretty. It is overwhelming. It is broken down. It has been destroyed by fire. He can't even get his horse to make it through everywhere because his horse can't even get past all the rubble. It is a problem. Here's financial foundation number three. God can help you face the hard facts. God can help you face the hard reality. A while back, there was a young adult in our church who, for a class in college that she was going through, had to keep a personal budget for six months. And she asked me to help her do that. And uh, it it was extremely painful for her. She hated every minute of it. She, she would have completely avoided this project if she weren't being graded on it. She, it was like she was allergic to having a budget. She, just, she was so struggling with this whole idea of, of feeling like this was just such a tight structure and it was so, so hard to do these sorts of things. But the thing is, is money had been a really painful part of her childhood. She'd been raised in a, a really volatile home in terms of money and they, they never had enough and she talked about uh, taking toilet paper from public bathrooms so that they would have some at home. Like, it was just, she was in a really, really difficult place, and trying to order her finances like this was against everything that she ever had been taught. Childhood, and what we learn about money in childhood, sticks with us and affects us. And I think it's good for us to pay attention to these things, because you probably don't realize it, but you are learning about values and money management and the emotions connected to money as a kid. You're learning it from the people that you're living with. And these early experiences would have shaped your initial idea of what money is and the role that it plays in your life. For example, if you're a little kid and somebody gave you a piggy bank, that was somebody teaching you, like, save up your money and when it gets to a certain thing, then you can go buy a piece of candy or you can go buy that toy. Those are early things. When, when I was little, one of my earliest church memories about how I learned to tithe was because a parent or a grandparent took a dime or a nickel and pressed it into my little four-year-old preschool hand and said, here's your Sunday school offering. Take this nickel into Sunday school offering, and then you can give that money to Jesus. And so from, the very, from early days, I was learning this. And I'll just say with tithing, it's a lot easier to tithe if you learn to do it as a kid. You can still learn it as an adult. People do it. But I'm just saying, parents, do not miss this opportunity. If you are, if you are under the age of 40, it's, don't miss this opportunity. If you're over the age of 40, don't miss this opportunity. Maybe you recall money, uh, hearing your parents arguing about money. And so to you, money equals stress and tension and insecurity. Maybe you, you felt like money was scarce or you felt like money was very abundant. Whatever, whatever your experience was, those things have shaped how you perceive money today. 
Another thing that helps you face hard facts about finances is understanding what money means to you. The meaning is, for some people, money means status. I want money because it helps me buy things, it helps me look a certain way, it helps me have certain things so that people respect me, so that people think I've got this or that. For some people, the meaning of money is security. Having money makes you feel strong, makes you feel secure. It's a, things might go wrong, and so we, we hold on to money, and uh, maybe we just don't spend it because we just want to feel secure, and we're so worried about not having enough. So maybe money equals security for you. Maybe money means enjoyment. You say, I don't want, I don't want to be in bondage to any of this sort of stuff. I don't want to be held back by all these rules and plans and budgets. I just want to be able to have fun. I want to spend my money on what I want to spend it on, and I don't want anybody telling me that I can't do this or that. Maybe money means enjoyment. It's, that it's, it's fun to be able to spend money how you want to. Maybe money means control. That if you earn it, I earn it, and I, I'm going to decide how it's spent. It makes you feel like you have control if you have money. I don't know what money means to you, but it's good to pay attention to what, what money means to you. God can help you face hard facts. God can help you face the reality of being able to say to yourself, I don't have enough money to do what I want to do. Some people need to be able to say that. Some people keep living in dream world, like, oh yeah, I'm just going to keep on spending. When you add in these red boxes, I'm going to keep on spending. God can help you face reality. God can help you face the reality of, if I'm going to save, I'm going to have to sacrifice. That sounds good in theory. Everybody thinks that sounds good in theory. Doing it does not always feel good. To say, I'm going to give up this thing. There's a reason you keep doing that thing. It's because it means something to you. And you get something out of it that you like. But maybe God is calling you to sacrifice that thing so that you, for a greater thing. God can help you face that. God can help you say no. God, God can help you set limits on your spending. God can help you spend limits on, on how you're managing money. He can help you say no and say, I don't need this. I don't have to be controlled by this. I don't have to have this telling me what to do. God can also help us say, I'm in more of a crisis than I want to believe I am. It is a very scary thing when people are in a financial crisis and are in denial about it. Maybe you've been there, maybe you've known people who have been there. But God can help you face that reality. God can help you face the reality of, I'm wasting more money than I should. Sometimes it's hard to feel this one because if money isn't tight for you and you're kind of fine and you're meeting your needs and you, you kind of have what you want to spend, then maybe what the reality God needs to help you face is that you're wasting more than you should or you're spending carelessly and God wants a little bit more discipline from you. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, the passage concludes today. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Let me pause there for a minute. Nehemiah is talking to the people of Jerusalem, some of whom have lived there for quite a while. They've been living there in poverty. They've been living there in broken down conditions. They've been living there in less than ideal situations. They've been living there in vulnerability and in an uns, unsafe environment. Nehemiah is speaking to them 
they know that the walls are broken down, but they have perhaps become so used to it that they don't even think about it. It's just the normal, ordinary, this is just how things are. And Nehemiah says to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. We perhaps are like the people in broken down Jerusalem with the broken down age-old foundations. And we have this invitation from God where he's saying, come on, let's rebuild some things. Let's rebuild, let's rebuild the parking lot. Let's rebuild some neighborhood ministries. Let's rebuild some property in Mongolia. But also let's rebuild you. Let's rebuild your financial life too. And I think God is inviting us to do the hard work the intensely hard but intensely rewarding and intensely meaningful work of rebuilding and restoring. So there's a two-part challenge today. One is this Kingdom Foundations campaign. This is, a, this is a financial campaign, and you are invited to participate. And as I said last week, I am not afraid to invite you into this. I'm not afraid to talk about money because I so believe that God wants to do a deeper work in us, that God wants to change our lives, and that God wants to change other people's lives through us. But I want to invite you to consider prayerfully what your participation in Kingdom Foundations would mean. Next Sunday is Celebration Sunday in which we're inviting you to bring your communication cards forward and turn those in, and we'll be talking more about that. But I want to, just to remind you, uh, J.D., you can come on up, just to remind you the steps to doing this are prayer, Please pray and ask God for, for his direction. This isn't about you making a decision on your own ability. This is about you praying and truly seeking what God wants you to do. To consider sacrificing. What does it look like to give something up for God? To have faith, to believe that God will supply whatever he calls you to. And then to pray again. Just don't, I don't just say pray to pray because it sounds spiritual. I, I really mean it. God wants to talk to you about these things. And God has things to teach you and to grow in you and to develop in you. So take, you have the, the commitment cards with you today. Please take those home and pray through those and ask God to speak to you about it. The second part of the challenge is to consider, God, how do you want my personal money management to change? God, is there a 10 10 80 thing you want me to look at? God, are you raising up in me a holy discontent? And I would ask you, church, where are you unsettled about financial things? Where, where are you unsettled? Pay attention to that. God wants to do something in that space. And I would ask you, what needs order? What needs organization and discipline? Could anybody use a little more organization and discipline so that you can be a more faithful steward of what God has given you? I think a lot of us could. How does God want to help you live with more order? What have you been avoiding that God wants you to address? What parts of money do you just say, I do not want to talk about it? Or that doesn't relate to me. What have you been, what does God want to address with you? I believe God wants to do something incredible in your life. And I want to hear about it. We have a QR code up on the screen, 
And we want, I want to hear from you in this sermon series. We're going to be doing this for about six weeks. And I want to hear your questions. I want to hear the things that bother you about what I say. I want to hear what, where you're frustrated or where you're stuck. I'd love to hear if you have a testimony or something to share about how, what God is doing in your life. I just heard a super cool one yesterday. I want to hear about your struggles. I want to hear what you would like for us to talk about, and I'll, I'll try to address those things as possible on Sunday mornings. But I'd love to hear from you. So if you don't know how to work a QR code, all you do is open up your phone to like you're going to take a picture with your camera. And then if you hold it up there, don't take, the, don't take a picture with your camera, but if you just hold the camera up there, there's a little white button that appears, and you hit that button, and then it will take you to this link in which you can answer that question. But I'd love to hear from you on those things. Next Sunday is a big day. Do not miss next Sunday. You're going to hear some very cool stories. We are going to have a lot of fun. We have a lot of kingdom celebrations that we're going to have. We, of course, have the chili cook-off after the 11 o'clock service. It's going to be a big day. But God is inviting us to be part of a new work, to be part of a hard work, but something that I think is going to lead to permanent change, growth, and flourishing for all of us.